This is the Anderson Business Advisors Podcast, the show for real estate investors, stock traders, and business owners. We help you keep more of what you earn and protect what you've built. Let's get started. All right. Welcome, guys, to another Tax Tuesday. My name is Toby Mathis. And I'm Jeff Webb. Yeah, it is Jeff Webb. Welcome to be back again, my friend. I think I missed last week, so I had to make up for all the shenanigans. You guys have a good week last or a couple weeks ago? Wait, that went well. Went well. See, it goes Elliot's smooth. easy to work with. Elliot's easier. It goes smooth. Well, I didn't say easier. I get it. I get <laughs> it. You didn't have to. It goes without saying. Because uh, he was like, hey, Toby, press this when you say your name. It's Toby Mathis. <laughs> it's not very nice. All right. Tax Tuesday rules. Let's talk about some rules. First off, if you have questions, that are specific to you, put them in the Q&A. If you have comments as we are speaking, like right now in the chat, you could say, hey, I am sitting in which city or state? You could just put in there right now, then we could see it. And so I love getting the comments. So if you could just put in there where you are literally sitting right now, what city and state you're in, put that into chat. Let's see. Seattle, Eatonville. Oh, Eatonville, Washington, home of Brandon Jumper. He was a great uh, running back back in the day. I think he played for WSU. Uh, Gainesville, Florida, Washington, uh, Mooresville, North Miami, Phoenix, Oregon, Minnesota, Ormond Beach. I'm in Half Moon Bay. Beautiful. San Luis Obispo, Lahaina. Hey, David, nice to have you with us. Hope things are going all right over there. Goose Bay, and that's in Canada. And then Bellingham, Washington, you're up by my mom. She's an Anacortis. Maine, Texas. Santa Clara, Boston, California, confused in Oklahoma, or is that the name of the that's the name of the state? Yeah, what kind of state are you in right now? All right, Massachusetts. All right, uh, somebody says it says disabled, so hopefully they undisabled it because people are using it now. So, all right, so use chat if you have comments. Is there a reason we can't see chats? Yes, it's because people solicit on free events when we don't require you to be a client and they come in here and they ask you to buy insurance and all sorts of stuff, maybe some Tupperware. There's usually a prince or two from some, some other country that needs a little bit of money to get you know whatever they need to get. So yeah, so we disabled the chat, but you can still ask questions. We have a whole staff here to answer your uh, chats. We have a bunch of accountants, Troy, Tanya, Ross, Jared, Amanda, an attorney, and uh, Patch, or there's Patty, Matthew, and me, I guess I count as something, but uh, you got a bunch of folks there, even during tax season, here to help you. And he says, can we get a recording? The beautiful part about this is we record these and put them on our YouTube channel. I will show you what that channel is in a little bit. And you could always go in there and watch all of the wonderful Tax Tuesdays that we've done. We've done over 200 of these. If you're bored for about two or three weeks, you could just watch them all. All right. Lots of fun stuff. Lots of fun. Taxes. Like you're going to sit there and say, I was going to watch The Last of Us, but no, I don't want to watch Zombie Apocalypse. I want to learn about taxes. Okay. I'd probably do the zombie, but I don't know. We've got what, three weeks to the last deadline? It looks year? like The Last of Us in our tax department right now because they're like just working their tails off. Oh, yeah. To finish. It's like, well, no, they don't look like that. They look more like they're like they need a siesta. Everybody's working their tails off. This is our tax season right now, October 15th. If you didn't know, with your extension, this is the hard deadline of getting your, your uh, tax return filed. All right, let's talk about the questions. We answer a whole bunch of questions. 
I will read them before we go through them individually. And then you can always ask your own questions in the Q&A feature. So Q&A is where you put in your personal question. Chat is where you make comments. So if I say something like, hey, could you, if you're the person who wrote this question, could you elaborate on that? Do it in chat. And uh, we have a whole team there to answer your questions. And no, it doesn't cost you a nickel. You don't get an invoice. I always call the love letters from lawyers and accountants. You don't get that here because we are just here to answer your questions and uh, hopefully make sure that we're bringing a little more tax knowledge into the world so it's easier because our tax system's kind of funky. They do things like, hey, uh, you owe some taxes. And you say like, okay, how about this? And they don't really say yes or no. They're just like, mm -hmm. you figure it out. You tell us what you owe. And it's kind of a confusing system. So there's lots of different rules that can benefit you and a lot of different rules that will hurt you. And the trick is figuring out the best scenario for you that you're comfortable with and that comports with the law. All right. What are the requirements for bonus depreciation? What assets qualify? First, a question, and we'll answer that. My property has two structures, a main house and a large guest house. I rent out the guest house. When I sell the entire property, can I 1031 exchange the entire proceed from the sale? Great question. I love that question. It's my first time seeing this, except right beforehand, I looked at a couple of them with Jeff. So I actually really like that. So Elliot, you get a star on that one. He knows I'm watching the questions that he draws. All right. Extended tax, extended tax return filing to October 2023 for the 2022 tax year. Am I still able to invest now for the 2022 tax year, such as starting a solo 401k? Really good question. And the answer is going to surprise you. What are the benefits of an S corporation or S corp status for a small business owner versus sole proprietorship or LLC? Spoiler alert, there's no such thing as an LLC for tax purposes, but we will answer that too. Can first year biz expenses for setting up a biz be carried forward to the following year if there is no income in the setup year? We're talking about carry forwards here. We'll answer that. I've been watching the videos of home office deductions from having an accountable plan. Does the residence have to be your own to be able to do the home office deduction? Or if you rent the property, can you also have the deduction? Really good questions today. So here, hold on real quick. We have to give Elliot some props. I don't even think he's on. But if he was on, I would say, Elliot, you get a star because uh, sometimes he picks some questions that are questionable. <laughs> questionable questions. All right. How to minimize day trading stocks. As soon as we tell Elliot that he did a great job, he brings up a question. That's not really a question, but we'll answer whatever that is. The best we can. Because I don't know if it, how to minimize day trading stocks. Yes, that would make it a question. All right. My LLC is technically registered as a partnership because it is just my husband and I as member managed LLC. We would like to fix and flip houses and we have invested about $15,000 in learning so far and want to be able to take the deduction as pass through expense for a, for a personal income. Will we run into any issues with that? We will definitely go over that. There's a case right on point, almost that exact scenario. Actually, Woody case, Woody, were you a commissioner, right? Uh, I purchased a rental property this year. Are all expenses related to the purchase and rehab to be included in the basis for depreciation? Or can any be expensed this year? Expenses include purchase price, rehab, which was paint, remodel, you know, change locks, utilities, out-of-state travel expenses. So like there's a bunch of stuff here. So we'll unpack that and go through it. 
if you have amassed a large amount of passive losses on your rental activities that you cannot use due to the AGI phase out. So you must be an active participant. You must be talking about the the $100,000 to $150,000 phase out, but immaterial. What would be the best way to try to minimize the loss of the losses, no pun intended, before trying to reach rep status, which is real estate professional status? Or can you offset them once you do get rep status? Those last two. I think we're going to be tired today. Speaking of tired today, go to ta- go to my YouTube channel. If you're having trouble sleeping, no, I'm just kidding. There's a lot of good stuff on my YouTube channel. There's also Clint Coon's channel. I don't see it as a slide, but if you feel like it and you want to stay plugged in to the different content that we create, especially me, uh, it's absolutely free. I've only done, there's 647 videos, most of them with Jeff. Okay. Only like a few of them with Jeff, but okay. If Jeff wanted to do videos, I'm always available. But there's uh, there's a lot of Tax Tuesdays in there. So yes, a lot are with Jeff's smiling face. And we do a lot of things on asset protection, investing, and tax. So it's absolutely free. You can just go to aba.link forward slash YouTube. And I think Patty just put into the chat, if you want to register for Clint's channel, he's been my partner for the better part of 25 years. And he's excellent on the real estate asset protection. If that is your interest, by all means, go there, subscribe. It does not, we don't spam you or anything. It just lets you know when new videos come up. And we put up about two or three a week. So it's not like it's once in a while. We're not one of those groups. We just constantly put out content based off of the questions we are getting asked. Speaking of questions we are being asked, Jeff, what are the requirements for bonus depreciation? What assets qualify? So real simply, it has to be personal property. Tangible property, right? Personal tangible property, correct. With a life, a depreciation life of 20 or years less. And, and Elliot, we're just talking about, we don't know when we've last seen a 20-year life. Yeah. So 15 it, years or less. 15, seven, or five. Yeah. Those are the years. Is there anything else? There, there's a three-year asset, but that's mostly for farmers and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And what this means, by the way, is bonus means I can write the whole thing off or yes. a significant portion of it in the year of acquisition, regardless of how long I've owned it. So I could buy cell phone, Yep. five-year property. I buy it December 31st. Yep. Can I bonus it? Absolutely. And what amount is bonus this year? 100%. Or no, 80% for 2023. 80%. If I can't write it off as bonus depreciation, maybe I write it off as... You could take it as one section 179. Up to 2 million bucks. Yep. One place you can't take section 179 is on rental properties. You can't do 179 on rental properties. Also, what if you create a loss? Can you create a loss with 179? No, uh, what, no, and you can't have a business loss and take 179. So bonus has always been much easier. That's why we didn't talk about 179. We didn't really need 179. We didn't, until this year, like yeah. for 2022, we never talked about it because you'd always bonus it because you can create a loss with it. 179, you're, you're limited. You can't have losses. But if you're making money, it doesn't matter. You can use 179 and write the whole thing off in the year that you buy it. If you'd rather write it off over... Five years, you can. You can opt out of bonus depreciation, right? You have to opt out. Otherwise, they're going to take it. Yeah. And then uh, you got to treat all assets classes of a certain year the same. Right. So if all your five-year property, if you want to bonus it, you're going to have to take 80% of all of the five-year property, not onesie, twosies. And and that might make sense sometimes. If you got a bunch of 15-year property, you definitely want to bonus that and not bonus the five or maybe even the seven-year property. But that's that's... What do you say? Calculate, calculate, calculate. Three rules. Calculate, calculate, calculate. 
sometimes it is better. Like, why would I be writing things off at the 12% mm-hmm. bracket when I could wait until next year and it's going gonna, it's gonna to offset the 24% or whatever it is? So maybe I'm better off not taking a deduction this year when I'm thinking about it critically. And I say, hey, this, this is really worth quite a bit more to me. If I yeah. don't bonus it, that happens a lot of times. 80% bonus depreciation max is for short-term or long-term or both. There is no short-term or long-term. Right. It is tangible personal property, and it's anything that would be five, seven, or 15 years. If you're doing bonus depreciation on a home, you're doing a cost seg first, breaking mm-hmm. it into its components. Like if you have a rental property, you're allowed to do this, and then you're writing off the 80% of the five and seven and 15-year property. Yeah. Somebody says, what about a car? Five-year property gets bonus. Well, okay. Let me, let me pull back on that. Uh, we talk a lot about 288, but there's another section 280, 280F that limits luxury vehicles, which up until a couple of years ago was like $10,000. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it limits how much depreciation. 18000 this year? It's 18000 I believe. So the first year, you, the max you could write off under bonus and regular depreciation is 18000 Yeah. For a car, a luxury car, for equipment, like a Suburban or a big mm-hmm. truck or a Tesla X, something that's over 6,000 pound gross vehicle weight, you can write off 80% of that yep. in year one, which is why people do that. But I always look at it going like, stop it. You're not using it 100% for business. Most people are using it less than 50%, in which case you don't want to touch this stuff. Stick to writing off mileage because if you fall below 50%, you have recapture issues that nobody ever talks about. Right. It's crazy. Somebody asked a question in chat. I'm sorry you guys can't see this, but how does a 3115 change in accounting work for the rental that I didn't take bonus depreciation for in 2019? Well, in order to take bonus depreciation, you have to do the cost seg. So if you bought a property in 2019, you could still make a 3115 election even for last year for 2022 and take all the bonus. This year, since you bought it in 2019, it's 100%. So you can literally write off all of your five, seven, and 15-year property. That's part of your real estate for 2022. Or you wait and you say, I do it right now, but I'm going to apply it to 2023. You Now, I think what they're talking about here is they didn't take any depreciation in the past, mm-hmm. which is establishes your accounting procedure. So they just want to do a 3115. To change it to, a, uh, to do a cost seg. Well, no, just to be able to take that depreciation for all those mm-hmm. past years. And, and if you, yeah, I agree with you though, that you might as well do a cost seg on top of it. Yep. And Javier, I assume this is pre-recording and that the chat Q&A are live. Nope. This is live. Second home, non-rental. I don't know. Yeah. If means. we screw up. Yeah. We, uh, sometimes we do. It's live. And sometimes we don't agree. And then you have to go back and figure it out. Uh, all right. My property. Yeah. I, I, I have a dollar on my wall. <laughs> all right. My you property. Do. My property. Yeah. Right. You're in Vegas. You're never supposed to bet. You're never supposed to gamble. All right. My property has two structures, a main house and a large guest house. I rent out the guest house. When I sell the entire property, can I 1031 exchange the entire proceed from the sale? What say you, Jeff? So when you do this, when you sell this property, this parcel, uh, you actually have two sales built into one. You have the sale of your personal residence, and then you have the sale of the auxiliary building. Yep. So part of what you need to do when you do this is you need to get very good, um, not cost segregation. Appraisal. Appraisal. Thank you. Chemo brain. Uh, you need to get very good appraisals. You so get you, that excuse. <laughs> You're the only one in this room. Get I got a cancer card too. So. Uh-huh. Uh, Rocking. He's fighting. Everybody knows Jeff is fighting the cancer and you look great. 
But yeah, you, you need to be able to get very good numbers for your primary residence and for that auxiliary. So you can divide that sale into two mm-hmm. and say, this is what my, I got for the pers- private residence. And this is what I got that I want a 1031 exchange. And it doesn't matter if there's two structures. Somebody says hey, ADUs are a big thing in California. Yep. Mm-hmm. But if this was one structure and you had a part of the house used for rental and part of the house was used as your primary residence, you get the capital gain exclusion under 121, which says that you must live in it as your primary residence yep. two of the last five years. If you do that, if you're single, you get to write off and or avoid tax on $250,000 of the capital gain. If it's married, if you're married, it's 500000 but you could still 1031 exchange that portion of the house that wasn't your primary residence because it was used for investment purposes. Now, just to twist your brains a little bit further, you could make the whole thing into a 1031 exchange and still get the 121 exclusion so long as you change the whole house into a rental and you sell it within three years. You have to have lived in it two of the last five years as your primary residence to use the 121 exclusion, not the last two years. So you have three years that it could be treated as an investment property and you still get the capital gain exclusion and you can actually 1031 exchange the entire home. Now, I usually say if, if you're going to do that, you don't want to convert it to a rental and then sell it in the same calendar year. I mean, what are your thoughts on that? There's no rule on it. There is no rule. on it. So the IRS is going to say, is it actually an investment property? Technically, there's a case where they never even made it. They never even rented it out. They, really? They made it available for sale, mm-hmm. uh, excuse me, available for rent. They, they, in good faith, they tried to rent it. This was during, I think it was 2008 or 2000. It was in that range. They tried to rent it out. They could not find a tenant. And then they sold the property after trying in good faith to rent it out. And it had been a house they lived in and it converted the property into an investment property, even without the rental. Now, don't try that at home. There's a reason that there's, it's a case. Right. It's because it went to tax court, which means it went through an audit. They lost. They went to an appellate and a decision didn't appease either side. So they went to tax court and then it was a case of first impression. And the court said, here's what we look at. So there's not a hard and fast rule. There isn't like, hey, you have to do it for a year. Hey, you have to do it for two months. My general rule is, hey, rent it at arm's length to somebody else for at least six months and you should be good. But chances are you're not going to get audited because the audit rate is less than 1% anyway. So, and there's not a lot of agents, even though they're hiring agents, they're hiring over the next 10 years. We're losing more agents than they're hiring still, in my opinion. I don't think they're, 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 they're making it up. And uh, this isn't something they're really going to sit here and fight about. You don't get to write it off that way. And you're excluded from being taxed on the game this way. My short-term rental is in in-law suite within my residence on a portion of my home mortgage insurance property taxes deductible in my LLC. Yeah, Jimmy. Part of your home is actually a trader business in that particular case. Depending if it's short-term rental, it's actually depending on whether you're doing all the work and what type of activity or what type of services you're providing. That could be actually considered active income subject to self-employment tax, or it could just be an active ordinary loss, mm-hmm. which is non-passive, which could offset even your W-2 income. But yes, you get to depreciate a portion of the home and you get to write off a portion of the expenses. Yes. Yeah. It rocks. Yay. What a great question. So again, Elliot did a great job picking that one out. It just opened up a whole bunch of issues that we could sit here and talk about all day, but we're not. So Jeff. Yes, sir. Extended tax return filing to October, 2023 for the 2022 tax year. 
An enlightened taxpayer knows that taxes are due in April, but your tax return is not due until October. Am I still, or am I, <laughs> this is horrible. Am I, I still, <laughs> am I able to still invest now for the 2022 tax year, such as starting a solo 401k? Here's the good news. What was the year, two years ago, they, they changed the rules and said, yep. hey, you can, you can start a 401k or retirement plan up until the due date of your extended return. Yes. So yes, you could do that. If, I, I'm not sure where you're putting it. Did they say sole proprietor? Or? They didn't say who's the sponsor of the solo 401k. So here's the issue. You can set up a 401k for your business up until that business files its tax return mm -hmm. or is required to file its tax return. So you have to look at the type of business. If this is a partnership or it is an S-corp, yep. that tax return was due back in March with a six-month extension to September 15th, which means too late to set up the solo. If this business is a sole proprietor, then you're in luck. You're paying more in self-employment tax, but the employer can make a contribution to the 401k. You cannot. You, as an employee, must defer your income into the 401k during the tax year. So you would have had to have made your employee deferral into a 401k in 2022 proper or mm -hmm. soon thereafter. Like technically you could do it in uh, January for payroll that was run for 20, for December of 2022, but not getting too technical. So here, am I able to still invest now for 2022? You could do a solo 401k mm -hmm. and make an employer contribution. You could do a SAP IRA and still make a contribution. Is there any others that I'm missing? That's all I can think of because most of the other ones are going to have deadlines of 415. Do you still have Keo or anything like that? I don't know about the Keo. So we know for sure that you have SEPs and 401ks that you could still do. Again, depending on the type of business that's making the contribution and depending on whether you filed a return for it yet. The other stuff you do for 2022 is you can still do cost segregations and bonus depreciation on real estate that you own in your name or that it flows onto your personal tax return. Yeah. Not through a partnership though. So, you know, so there's, there's a few of you out there that may still have some flexibility. We just did a, a DB plan, not, I think it was last week or whatever it was. Was it last week? Yeah. Just a little over a week ago that, uh, $75,000 contribution for 2022 because the client still had that ability. This, this law changed. And you just mentioned another plan that you can do up until the deadline. The def defined benefit. Yep. Yeah. So they it might be a little that. hard to get accomplished at this point, but yeah, I think that most people are going to say there's no way to run the numbers in time, but so ab about the employer contribution, there, there's a couple stipulations there. If you're, if the sponsor is an S corp or a C corp, you have to have the W2 for 2022 to make that employer contribution. Absolutely. Your partnership or a sole proprietorship that doesn't necessarily follow your, your earnings are what the partnership or schedule C yep. earn. And, you know, uh, underline and put explanation points over what you said. It's got to have earned income to make a contribution. Yep. So this isn't for your rental income. This isn't for interest income. This isn't for capital gains. This would be if you have active income from a business. So uh, Jeff's Pizza Shop, he's a sole proprietor. He made a hundred grand. He would be able to put, in theory, up to 25% 25,000 plus makeup. So an mm -hmm. extra 7,500. So you could put for the employer side, you could contribute up to 32,500 into a 401k up until October 15th. 
And, and I'll tell you what, even if you're not going to benefit in 2022 for this, I p- would probably still do it for 2023. Get it in there now. Get it in there now. And the thing is, is that the longer the money is in there, it's like baking a cake, the longer it bakes. So you want to get, if you're going to do tax deferral, even if it's for the same year, I could, I could put money into a plan on January 1st or December 31st. The money that goes in on January 1st has all that year of baking, of making that interest tax deferred. I end up doing better. From a tax standpoint, it won't make any difference for the deduction, but right. you get to avoid, you know, so if, in theory, if I didn't make the contribution, it's sitting in my account and I make income over the year and make a bunch of capital gains or whatever, now I'm going to have a tax. Okay. Somebody says, I emailed two questions a few minutes ago prior to the webinar. Will they be answered during the webinar? Should I go over to the Q&A and put those questions in there? Nobody's going to be able to get to those questions. We get hundreds from the email. So yeah, they wouldn't be. But if you go into the Q&A, then they'll, they'll get to you. They've already answered almost 100 questions. They're churning them out. We have a whole team, Matthew, Patty, Amanda, Dutch. There is Elliot. Elliot, you rock star. Jared, Ross. Tanya, Troy, all these guys. Uh, somebody says, doesn't the cake get a little dry after baking for 12 months? John. <laughs> all right. Let's go to the next one. What are the benefits of an S-corp status for a small business owner versus sole proprietorship or LLC? The number one benefit is if you're making money, you don't pay self-employment taxes on an S-corporation. There are some other benefits. I prefer an S corporation for like the 401ks or retirement plans. You can do an accountable plan with your S corporation that you can't with a sole proprietorship. Extra tax savings because you're an employee and you're not a sole proprietor. Correct. You talked about your phone earlier. Mm -hmm. This actually came up during our live event here in Vegas. Did it? There was a guy going through an audit as a sole proprietor and they disallowed his entire phone expense because he couldn't itemize each call as to whether it was personal or business. Well, what if you're an S-corporation? As an S-corp, the employer can reimburse you 100% of anything you have out of pocket, and it gets to write it off, and you don't have to recognize it as income. So if he had been an S-corp, he could have written off the whole thing, not just the business portion, the whole flipping thing, and it was bad, so he, he lost it. So. And we see that for phones and for internet and, and other certain expenses. That if the employer requires you to have it. And you can do an administrative There's a question here I saw earlier about administrative office. You can only have an administrative office if you are an employee of an organization. Mm-hmm. And you, do, you are not an employee of an organization if that organization is a sole proprietorship or a partnership. You can't be. You're a partner or you're the sole proprietor, but you cannot be an employee. It has to be a separately taxed entity like an S-corp, a C-corp, a nonprofit, an LLC taxed as an S-corp or an LLC taxed as a S-corp or as a C-corp so that LLCs don't exist for tax purposes. Oh, uh, well, and one thing you and I have talked about in the past is if you're a sole proprietor and you're making, your profit is five to $10,000 a year, it probably doesn't make sense to become an S-corporation. I would say that the line where it makes economic sense mm-hmm. to go from a sole proprietorship, and by the way, it says sole proprietor or LLC, an LLC could be a sole proprietorship or it could be an S-corp. So we ignore the LLC. It doesn't exist for tax purposes. So we're really only comparing, do I put this on my Schedule C of my 1040, which is what you would do if you're a sole proprietor, or do I put it on 1120S, which is the tax return for an S-corp? And I just have to compare those two things. If you decide, hey, you know what? I'm much better off uh, from a tax standpoint 
of being an S corp, usually you're right around $30,000 or above. And it's what it does is it saves you about 1500 bucks a year on, because the, the way the math works is I only have to pay self-employment tax on about two, on, excuse me, on about one third of the income I make as an S corp. Technically, you're supposed to take a reasonable salary. The courts have come back and repeatedly said it's about a third. So I get to save, let's just say it's $30,000 of net income and I take a $10,000 salary and I dump it all into a 401k and I have $20,000 that hits me, that $20,000 would not be subject to the self-employment tax, which would ordinarily be 12.4% and 2.9, which would be 15.3%. So I would save myself what's 20 times 15%, some, you know, somewhere around what, 3,000 3, bucks? Yeah. So I'd probably save myself enough money to justify the hassle mm-hmm. of setting up an S-corp and, and running payroll. That's what it is. And that's how you, that's how you should be doing the math. If you're making a hundred grand, it's a no brainer. You're going to save yourself close to $10,000 a year being an S-corp. Right. Because you're going to avoid the payment of the, the employment taxes on about two thirds of that money. And then let's just make it even more fun because I'm a data geek. Your audit rate is over 800% higher. I just set up a scenario. You're making a hundred grand. It's actually was 2.4% for sole proprietors last year. They tracked it in this year. We are below a fraction of a quarter of a percent for an S corp. Like it's not even close, but even in that year where they gave us the data, the S corps were at 0.2%. So it is quite literally 800% more chance of getting audited if you're a sole proprietor, but that's not the end of it. The sole proprietors lose their audits about 94 to 95% of the time, according to the IRS data. Publication 55, I think it's table 17A, if you want to just go for kicks and look at it, you could see the audit rates and you could see the change rates. And they actually do it reverse. They say the number of returns with no changes was 5 and 6% respectively, depending on whether it was a field audit or a correspondence audit. So you get audited a lot more as a sole proprietor and you lose those audits over 90% of the time. Now it's not true of the sole proprietors that are making very little income. That's not uh, elevated. It's a little bit, but not enough to make you go, you're crazy to do it. But you know, the IRS believes that sole proprietors are more likely to overstate expenses and understate income than any other entity. And that's why they pick on because those are the people that are walking around, writing off everything. Hey, I wrote off my whole phone. I wrote off my whole car. Ha ha ha, suckers. You guys pay tax on this stuff. Look at me. And the IRS comes in and says, well, let me see your records. What was the business use of your phone? What do you mean? I use it all for business. Denied. How about the car? Where's your mileage log? What mileage log? Denied. You lose those deductions and you always, they always do. And they usually mix all their stuff up anyway. So don't be a sole proprietor. Let's uh, keep going. All right. Can first-year business expenses for setting up a business be carried forward to the following year if there's no income in the setup year? Yeah, yeah, it just becomes another deduction uh, that gets carried forward with all your other expenses. There's two kinds of expenses, startup expenses, which we talk about a lot, and organizational expenses. So you get, you get up to $5,000 of each of those in the first year. But anything beyond that, and this usually happens more with startup expenses, gets amortized over the next 15 years. So on top of your loss in that first year being carried forward, you're, you're going to have more startup expenses each year that are being amortized. It's over 15 years. Yeah. It's on a long stretch. But if you have ordinary, they're called 162 expenses, customary, ordinary, 
reasonable and necessary. We just call them, you know, reasonable and necessary or, you know, just ordinary expenses. If you have those that you're incurring as you're open, even if you're not making any money, but you're trying. So you have a store, Jeff has his pizza shop, he's selling some pizzas, but he's losing money every month. You don't lose that. You just carry it forward. It will offset other income. So if you are a sole proprietor, a partnership or an escort, and those losses flow under your return, then you could write them off against other W-2 income. So let's say you have a spouse who's making good money and you're starting up the family business and you're going to go through a couple of years of pain, it might help you out as a family. So it might lower the tax rate you have for that year, but you would use the, the loss. Otherwise, you just carry it forward. And, and they made a really important change uh, with the TCJ in 2018, that Tax Cut and Jobs Act. Uh, no, I'm just saying, they don't know. Uh, but with the, with the big tax law change, that and, tax and net operating losses used to expire and they mm-hmm. don't anymore. They yep. go into infinity. Weren't they like, 20 years. Yeah, I, I think some of them were even shorter than that for different types of entities, but mostly yeah, 20 years. Never underestimate Congress's ability to make things that were simple more complicated. They're really good at it. Annoying? Yes. Good at it? Being annoying? Yes. All right. This is fun stuff. Actually, somebody just asked a question. If you incur recorded expense while on a nonprofit board, but are not reimbursed, can you write it off? Uh, no, we, we we did away with miscellaneous itemized deductions. So you eat it. I'm sorry, Joyce. Yeah, you spread joy. I'm spreading joy to Joyce. I'm sorry, Joyce. But no, you can't write that off. And it stinks. Because the only exceptions are like for teachers. I think they can write off 300 bucks of unreimbursed expenses. And she gave me a smiley face. I'm so sorry, Joyce. I just give you bad news. You're supposed to give me like a you angry, like be angry tax person. But thank you for sitting on a nonprofit board and then say, Hey, I can't write this off. Could you please reimburse me now? Because you're you're making my life worse. And if they reimburse you anytime this next year, even you should be okay. Let's see. I've been watching the videos of home office deductions on whose channel, right? From having an accountable plan. I don't care which channel. Hopefully, you're getting the benefit out of it. Does the residence have to be your own to be able to do the home office deduction or? If you rent the property, can you also have the deduction? So the question is, do you have to own the property personally in order to do the home office deduction or administrative home office? Okay, I want to start off with making an important distinction. Mm -hmm. Sole proprietors have home offices. Everybody else has administrative offices for which they're reimbursed for those, their expenses. Remember the accountable plan we were talking about with that S-Corp, S-Corp, C-Corp, LLC taxes and S-Corp, LLC taxes and C-Corp? or a nonprofit, you're an employee, you get to reimburse the employee. So the, the employer reimburses the employee, me, for the use of their home. So I, I want to make a, a distinction here. I, I understand your question when you say, does the home have to be yours, meaning ownership? The expenses for the home have to be yours and you have to be living there. Uh, because to your point, you're asking about, can it be a rental property? Yes, absolutely. 100%. Yep. Uh, and you're, you're writing off what you spend. Mm-hmm. So let's say that you're using, it's a three bedroom, two bath. Yep. Got a big area for the kitchen, a big area for a living room. I would call that a five bedroom. One of those bedrooms is being used as your home office. It's 20%. 20% of your out-of-pocket expenses associated with that home, including your rents, including your utilities, mm-hmm. including your, your electric bill, your water. If you have a cleaner come over and can clean things up once a month, all of that goes into the kitty and you write off 20% of it. So the company reimburses you 20%. So the same way 
uh, we had somebody asking about, hey, the, uh, what was their name? I'm going to go back up because Joyce. Joyce was trying to get reimbursed from a nonprofit. This is no different of whether it's something you control or a separate. So they didn't, they either reimburse you and say, here, Jeff, thank you for allowing us to use your home. We didn't have to rent a space for you. Mm -hmm. I'm going to reimburse you the out-of-pocket expense that you incurred. Jeff doesn't have to report it anywhere. As the employer, I still get to write it off. Right. And sometimes you're wearing both hats. Sometimes you have your own escort and you're, it's weirding you out. You're like, wait a second, I'm on both sides of this transaction. My accountant said, you know, they usually come up and say, I don't feel comfortable with that. Right. You know, whatever, something silly. It's like, no, you're wearing two hats. The IRS expects you to do this. When are you wearing your personal hat? When are you wearing your employee hat? When are you wearing your business hat? And they want you to track it so that they can tell, oh, here's all these business expenses on this S-Corp return. Uh, individually, oh, there's not much going on here. There's some W-2, that's it. Even though the corporation had reimbursed you $5,000 that year for a bunch of stuff, they see the expense on the S-Corp return. It flows onto your return. They don't need, they don't want to see anything on your return for that. Yeah. Works out great. Isn't that fun? Oh, somebody, Tanya just jumped in. It says it may be possible for you to include these in out-of-pocket expenses on your charitable donation. You would need to get a donor letter from the nonprofit though. That's really smart, Tanya. I didn't think about that. Tanya is one of our accountants who's out there kicking butt in the nonprofit world. That's why we keep her around. She's very smart. Now, here's the thing. What she just hit on is, hey, if a nonprofit owes you money and you don't get reimbursed, you can't write it off. But if you are itemizing, now keep, keep in mind, this is only if you're above the standard deduction and you're itemizing, you might say, don't worry about it. I'm just going to contribute that to you. And in exchange, in order to make it a valid donation, mm -hmm. I need a letter from you saying that I didn't get anything in return. So, hey, Joyce, we owe you a hundred bucks. And Joyce says, don't worry about it, but give me a letter saying that I'm contributing a hundred bucks to you. They give you a donor letter. You write it off as a hundred dollar donation. Dang. Yeah. Thanks, now, now, the one exception to that is heritable mileage goes directly on your schedule a you don't have to get a letter or anything for it it's just the mileage it's still itemized though right? it's still itemized correct yeah. and when we say itemized it just means as an individual you have what thirteen thousand eight hundred fifty dollars of standard deduction mm -hmm. as an individual as a married couple you're over twenty seven thousand if you don't have the combination mm -hmm. mortgage interest what is it state and local taxes medical expenses what am i missing Mortgage interest. Did I already say mortgage interest? I don't think it's that interest. No. All right. So mortgage interest. So those things, the combination, those don't exceed that amount. Then it doesn't matter anyway. I'm not writing it off. And as many of you are finding out, it gets harder and harder to beat that standard deduction. They raised it up in 2017 and 85% of the people use the standard, which is good. Absolutely. Yeah. It makes it easier. If we hit the limit, can we donate forward? So I'm not sure what that uh, there is a limit of 60% of AGI. You carry it forward for five years. That you carry forward for five years. So if, if, if you make $100,000 and you give 70000 to a charity, but for you to start with, but that extra $10,000, because you're limited to 60000 in that case, that extra 10000 gets carried forward until you can use it up. Yep. Nonprofit deduction or donation, how much can you deduct? Up to 60% of your AGI if it is cash. 30% if it's appreciated assets, 20% if it's a private foundation. And it's just itemized. So it didn't go away. Somebody says, I'm interested in sole proprietorship. What if you're self-employed or a consultant and make, we just went over that Liliana with the S-Corp almost always. 
almost always it's going to be an S corp if you're making over net uh, twenty five thirty thousand a year. Mm-hmm. Almost always. All right. How to minimize day trading stock gains, which we never get to see because most day traders lose money. But yeah, that's the topic of a different day. It's really hard to beat the computers. Anyway, first off, I think you're going to if if you got losses to harvest, especially short term losses, dump them puppies. You can buy them back in thirty days if you're really in love with those losses. But that will help offset your your uh, gains. Something Elliot, our buddy Elliot brought up, we were talking about this. Another good way, a strategy we have is trading partnership. Yes. Uh, So you partner with your corporation. You put it in an LLC, Mm -hmm. usually in Wyoming. You tax it as a partnership and the partner is? Your corporation. And they are the general partner. Yep. And and what this does, there's a reason we're doing this because in 2017, they did away with miscellaneous itemized deductions, which is where the management Mm -hmm. fees used to go. So you can't write it off individually if you're trying to, if you're paying a manager. So you want the manager to get paid regardless, right? You want to make sure that it's getting paid out of the profit. So the profit never hits you and then you pay it. It's just getting the profit. So if you're a day trader and you're doing a good job and you have expenses, like you want to be able to write off this, your phone, your computer, Mm -hmm. your data feeds, going to classes and things. You can't write that off as an investor. And normally you'd have to qualify as a trader in securities, which is this huge thing that they love to audit and find 10 ways why you don't qualify. Even if, and this is an actual court case, you spend $15 million a year trading. Like there's people with thousands of trades and they still, they find all sorts of reasons to to deny them. But if you don't want to deal with all that, you set up a trading partnership owned usually 20, 25% by the corporation. The money goes to the corporation and it uses it to pay the expenses. It's not enough and you have lots of expenses. Then you do a guaranteed payment to partner, like maybe a thousand or $2,000 a month that you're kicking that partner, and then it comes off the top. It, it, it lowers the profit that flows onto your return. So again, your return looks really, really simple. It just has capital gain. If, it, if you're a trader, short-term capital gain showing up on your return, the net of all those expenses and the amounts that you paid to the court. And, and, and we justify, you know, some people may question that monthly payment or annual payment, or whatever, but we're actually justifying it by saying the corporation is actually managing the trading the LLC itself and so forth. Like Tubby said, a lot of our expenses are running through the corporation, not the partnership. Yeah. Somebody says, why would someone want to minimize their gains? I would want to maximize my gains, but minimize my taxes. What they're trying to do is taxable gains. The easiest way to look at this is I know what they're saying. How to minimize day trading or day trading taxable stock gain, right? There's just, I know what they're, no, they're not trying to make less money. They're like, darn it. This day trading is so easy. How do I make less money? God, I'm too good at this, right? No, they're not saying that. What they're saying is I'm making money. How do I pay less tax on right. it? So, so Robin, we get it. So you don't want to be a day trader for tax purposes. You don't want to be a trader in security because the IRS loves to audit the heck out of you. What you do want to do is be the partnership with the corporation holding a portion of it so that you can write off your expenses. Nobody should ever give me things like this ever again. Yeah, I, I hear some people saying that, uh, well, I need to be a, uh, a trader in securities because I keep losing money. They, they want to write off the loss as ordinary loss. Here's the solution to that. Quit trading. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're just horrible. You're horrible. But stop trading. Wait, no, I need the, where's the one with the, I can't read this. I'm not allowed to have toys. 
Mm, I don't have the shot. I forget it. Hey, if you guys like tax and asset protection and you're like, gosh, I, this is fascinating. I want to hear more about LLCs and corporations and things like that. I know that guy. That looks like Clint. Join us. Uh, we're doing a one-day virtual event on September 28th, again on October 7th and the 12th. Like We just can't do these enough. This is so much fun. See, at least Joanne likes me. She says, I like your humor. That's like, like one of three people. But here's a good one. Let me see if I can remember this. Because there was like three engineers, they get in the car, the car won't stop, won't start. And uh-huh. so the electrical engineer says, well, obviously there's something wrong with the electrical system. Like starters shut. What's another type of engineer? Mechanical. Mechanical engineer says it's obviously something with the engine. It's not, it's shot. The IT engineer says, let's get out of the car and get back in and try it again. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. Somebody like that. You engineers. Yes. Yes. <laughs> The engineers are all like, I got an engineer. I got an engineer joke. Yeah, there's something else. Uh, so IT guys says to roll down the window, roll it back up and try it again. See, I like that too. Ay, 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 you guys. Hey, 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 some emojis. All right. My LLC is technically registered as a partnership because it is just my husband and I as a member managed LLC. We would like to fix and flip houses and have invested about $1,500 in learning so far. And want to be able to take that deduction as pass-through expense for a personal income. Will we run into any issues with that? What do you think, Jeff? Uh, first off, I don't like flipping in a partnership. Any dealer status from flipping is going to pass straight through to you. When you say dealer status, what are you talking about? Talking about IRS deems that you are a dealer in real estate, not a not a investor in real estate. And the consequences. So let's say I sold three flips, but I also sold some rental properties. They're going to consider them all flips, all ordinary income. You're, trade bit, you're a trader business. You lose 1031 exchanges. Yep. You can't do installment sales under 453. There's a bunch of bad, bad consequences that you have, including self-employment tax, because they treat you as a dealer. Just think of a car dealership. Mm-hmm. You're holding your houses as inventory, not as a long-term hold for cash flow. If they decide that's you, then all of that income is ordinary active income. And it's very, very bad for people that are buying houses, fixing them up and selling them to people on an installment sale. It means you pay tax on the entire sale, even if you haven't gotten the money yet. I've seen it really destroys people. Really, like I've seen some folks negatively impact to the tune of one guy was, it was uh, $700,000 plus penalties and interest. Yeah, I, I've seen a bunch of people walk into these. Well, I did a flip and I did an installment sale. Mm-hmm. Before they even realize the consequences of having done yep. that. It looks good until, until your accountant gets hold of you and then says, oh, look, you made 200000 Great. You owe $65,000 in tax on that. And you're like, but I did a $25,000 down payment and I'm carrying it and they're not really paying. I'm chasing them and I'm, I might have to foreclose. This is real life situation. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden you're like way underwater. The IRS is very, very sympathetic to that. Not. <laughs> Right. They don't care two poops about it. They just come after you. And that's what they did. 2008, there was a big land deal uh, and somebody sold on an installment sale and they didn't realize that it was all taxable to them. And uh, the IRS chased them for several years, ruined their lives, made it really suffer. And they had to go through a foreclosure, finally get the property back and uh, lost the property as a result of the IRS. Uh, Just a bad, bad situation because they didn't understand how flips work. 
So if you want to flip homes, our recommendation is always going to be to do them through an entity like a S-Corp or an LLC taxed as an S-Corp. As for the $15,000 learning expense, when can you write that off? If you're already in the business of flipping, you're doing this and you're learning additional stuff, you can write that off in the S corporation. You can always write it off in the C corporation, usually as startup expenses. Mm-hmm. Uh, say this is something new to you. If you've never flipped before and you're learning how to do it, probably want to go with a C corp if you want to uh, write that expense off. Yeah, for sure. You're going to want to, like, it depends on your scenario. I yeah. have to say it that it depends. But the question is are you a trader business or are you getting into a trader business? If you are, you've already have a flip and you go to courses and you learn to flip better, Vera says that's an ordinary necessary business expense. You get to write that off now. If you do not have a flip and you go to a course to learn how to flip, the IRS says you are not in a trader business. That is a startup expense that needs to be amortized over the next 15 years. Um, So there's a big difference. If you set up a, a corporation, a little bit of a different animal now, right? Because we can reimburse ourselves for having paid for the fixer flip and the corporation, when it makes money, can reimburse you. And then it writes it off as an expense for the reimbursement to an employee later. So you need that accountable plan kind of showing up again. So yeah, there's a few different scenarios. Fortunately, sometimes taxes get complicated depending on your on your situation. Mm-hmm. Can you write it off as a deduction? Yes, if you're in that business. So yeah. if you're an S-corp or a partnership or a sole proprietor and you lose money in that first year, Yes, you could write that off. If with the S corp, it's if you contributed at least, if you have basis of at least fifteen thousand, you can write mm-hmm. the fifteen thousand. Obviously, you'll have the fifteen thousand because otherwise you wouldn't have been able to buy it. So it ends up helping you. Somebody says, "What qualifies you as a dealer in California?" There's no set number. It's your intent when you buy a property. There's no set holding period, by the way, Mario. When you flip, there's a case on point. I'm trying to think of the name of it, but it was a guy. He held a property for ten years. And he bought it and he intended to sell it, but the economy shifted. And every year he would get it appraised. He would look to sell it and it would be time. Time wouldn't be right. Time wouldn't be right. So eventually 10 years go by and he sells the property. Is that dealer property or investor property? Let me see if you guys are listening out there. In chat, based off of that scenario, somebody bought a property, held it for 10 years and sold it. But when they bought it, they intended to sell it right away, but they couldn't because the economy shifted and they sold it 10 years later, is that dealer property or investor property? They're all over the place. Dealer, investor, dealer, investor, dealer, investor, dealer, investor. It is a dealer property. That is a court case from the Internal Revenue Service or from tax court. And they held your intent when you bought it is what controls. So technically, I could buy an investment property and sell it a month later, and it's still an investment property. Right. It doesn't make me a dealer. When you bought it and you intended to sell it, it doesn't matter how long you held it. You can't hold it for a year and then sell it and say, there, I'm an investor. I have seen that. Somebody says dealer, if not rented. It was rented that whole 10 years. It does not matter. What matters is your intent when you bought it. If you bought it with the intent to hold it as inventory, to sell it, even if it's for a week or 10 years, you are a dealer. And then are you telling your intent to the IRS? Now you're getting smart. You have to be able to prove it, right? Well, these folks, you can look at course of dealing. You can look at what you were doing. You could look at, you know, uh, advertising, trying to sell it every year, communications with your accountant, all that stuff. How did the IRS know they didn't? Uh, but they went in there and said, hey, we want proof 
And they looked at the guy, and I think I think it was somebody who flipped land quite often. So they were just looking, saying, "There's no way this guy was holding on to this property intentionally. He's in the business of selling things, and the the economy shifted. So uh, how do you identify intent? You, what we do for dealer properties is we put them in one entity. You usually or taxed at one entity. So you might have an S corp that holds four or five LLCs that are all for flipping properties. So you space them out for asset protection wise, but it goes onto one tax return. And clearly, if you're putting those in all in one and it's an ordinary, it's a trader business, great. Those are dealer properties. On the same token, you have all your investment properties in another set where you have a holding entity, like a Wyoming holding entity, and you have different states where you have LLCs. That's pretty clearly that I have all my long-term holds over here. Mm -hmm. And then if I sell one, the IRS isn't worried. Oh, are you a dealer? They see your dealer properties here and you're making a, a quite a delineation and it's up to you to, to, to track it. Sometimes you don't know. Like I've been there in Vegas during 2008, 9, 10, 11, 12, we were buying and selling and doing all sorts of crazy stuff. You'd buy one. Am I going to sell it? No, I think I'm going to keep it. We kept a bunch of properties. What we would do is we'd buy them in land trusts. And then we'd really declare our intent the first year that we're putting it on a return. And it was that same scenario. We had our holds over here and we had our flips over here. We'd report the flips on the flips and the holds on the holds. But it gave us a little bit of time to kind of figure it out because sometimes you're just not quite sure. So if you're, if you're in there and you're like, oh gosh, I don't, I, I don't know. I don't know yet. Okay. Use a land trust to buy. And then we can assign the beneficial interest once you figure it out. But whatever that end of the tax year is, so so mi sure. mixing types of properties, flips and investment properties in the same entity, does that really muddy things? Yes, if you're mixing them, because you want the IRS to know what you are. I used to use a image at a buddy, and we had two pi two pictures. Picture one was a plantain. Mm -hmm. Picture two was a banana, and I'd show a gorilla, and we'd say the gorilla wants to eat the banana, and he'd say, "Great, I'm, I want to be the plantain," and I'd say. Gorilla doesn't know that's a plantain. There's only one way it's going to find out that that's not a banana. And it's going to be because the gorilla takes it and shoves it in its mouth and chews it up. So do you want to get chewed up? Or do you want to clearly show that you are not a banana or a plantain? You want to be a cheeseburger because the gorilla doesn't want to eat the cheeseburger. Make sure you look like a cheeseburger if you don't want the gorilla to pick you up and eat you like a banana, right? And make sure that it's not technical. Like so people are like, hey, with Will the IRS really know? I mean, because I'm, I'm definitely a plantain. Yeah, but you look like a banana. And the only way they're going to know is if they pick you up and chew on you. We don't want the IRS to pick up, pick you up and chew on you. Unless you want. Let, let, unless, unless you're into that, right? I like pain. I can't wait to get audited, said no one. Ever. I'll show them. Yeah. They've never dealt with anybody like me. Yeah, all right. Stop it. <laughs> so, all right. I purchased... A rental property this year, are all the expenses related to the purchase and rehab to be included in, in the basis for depreciation or can it be expense this year? Expenses include purchase price, rehab, flooring, paint, bath, remodel, change locks, et cetera, utilities, out-of-state travel expenses. Yeah, what do you think? All right, let, let's compare answers here. I, I'm of the impression that if you just bought the property and have not placed it in service, all these expenses are going to go to basis. If you have not put it into service, you're not going to get an argument from me. All your Everything before you put it into service, which means make it available for someone to rent. It doesn't have to be rented. Available to be rented. So you make it available. They're added to basis. But, but 
If it's already in service, what do you do? If it's already in service, some of these items are going to be deductible. Your flooring, your paint, certain things that are true repairs, not the remodel or the, probably the bathrooms or kitchens. Uh, but some of these expenses are going to be repairs and you're going to be able to expense those during that service year. Yeah, you have a de minimis safe harbor, which is $2,500 unless you... Yes. Unless you have an accountant preparing your financials for non-tax reasons, like for a loan or something, you go up to 5000 It's per item. So if I'm looking at fixing things, flooring, I might say yes. There's also a, I'm going to replace it two, at a, uh, two times the next 10-year test. So if I'm going to rent this thing out and I know that I'm going to be replacing the flooring every few years, then I could write it off for sure. Purchase price is always going to be included in basis. But rehabs, things like that might be deductible right away, or you could cost seg it and then use bonus on anything that's five, seven, or 15 year property, which could be any land improvements, fences, decks, putting in shrubs, trees, things like that, appliances, painting, putting in window treatments, mm -hmm. all that stuff, carpet, all that is five, seven, or 15 year property. You can write off 80% right now. Utilities are always going to be an expense, assuming that the property is already in service. I think you're always going to write off utilities, right? Yeah. Like that would never be added into basis. And then out-of-state travel expenses, if you're checking on the property, the only question is, uh, you generally can write those off, but the question is, uh, if you're creating a loss out of it, I think is the only issue. But again, if it's in service, generally speaking, you're writing those things off. And, and you mentioned the de minimis, and I've had plenty of clients do this is they're putting in a new bedroom, they're doing a tear out and doing, and they ask the contractor to give them all these invoices under $2,500. I've gotten 20 invoices under $2,500. Yep. Uh, Paul just said, this is Paul's question. Everything was done before the property was put into service. So all of your expenses, I don't, with utilities, I always think of as an expense period. It would not be added to basis, but it, I'm not sure about that. I, I think, you carry I think utilities, yeah, I think utilities and taxes you have an opportunity to decide which way you're going to go. Yep. So, so Paul, you would add everything, the purchase price, the rehab, everything else. But here's the beautiful thing, Paul, we can still do a cost seg on it and write off all the five, seven and 15 year property, 80% of it right now. So yeah, so you add it to basis, but then we're going to write it off anyway. I hope you follow that. Yeah. So like I said, no, you, you can't write off the remodel. That's not necessarily true because if you're remodeling your kitchen, there's a lot of seven-year property in that kitchen. Absolutely. Which if it's five, seven, or 15, we're talking about 168K bonus depreciation, running off 80% of that in the first year. Boom. We get to do it. Are we really? Oh, yeah. I guess we're a little bit late. A little bit late. All right. But I'm having fun. If you have a mast. Hey. <laughs> uh, what he's asking about typical supplies. Samir, put that in the uh, Q&A. We'll make sure somebody gets the answer. They have answered, by the way. 253 questions in, wow. the, in the question and answer. So Troy, Tanya, Ross, Jared, Elliot, Patty, who else? Dutch. Dutch. Dutch is always there kicking butt. Matthew, Amanda, you guys rock today. 254 questions now. All right. I have amassed a large amount of passive losses on, uh, if you have amassed a large amount of passive losses on your rental activities that you cannot use due to the AGI phase out, what would be the best way to minimize the loss of the losses before trying to reach rep status, which is real estate professional status. Or can you offset them once you do get rep status? Jeff. Okay, I'm going to answer the, the last question first. Once you take that rep status and you aggregate your properties, that loss is locked in until you get rid of virtually all of them. 
So don't do if you have a bunch of carry forward losses, it's probably not a good idea to aggregate your rental activities as one activity. What you may want to do, and you may not like this answer, is sell one or two of the properties. If you got a bunch of properties and they're losing money but anyway. If you don't lose, here's the one thing. Oh, okay. You're, no, you, that's you have the passive point. loss. You don't lose it when you have an AGI phase out. What he's talking about is when you have passive losses, they only offset passive income. Right. There are two types of passive income, rental activities and businesses that you yep. do not materially participate in. So like if Jeff and I have a pizza shop and Jeff works in the pizza shop, but I don't, I'm passive, he's active. So my income from the passive pizza shop can be offset with any losses from my rental activity. But we're, we'll just forget about that. So we have passive losses only offset passive um, gains or passive income with two exceptions. Exception one, active participation in real estate. You get to write off up to $25,000, but it phases out between one hundred dollars and $150,000. So in in this case, he says there's an AGI phase out. So it tells me he makes over 150,000. Right. Option two, real estate professional status, which is 469 C7 of the Internal Revenue Code. And it says one spouse on a joint return has to be a real estate professional. Step number one, 750 hours in more than 50% of their professional time. They do that. We can look at step number two. One spouse has to meet it. All their real estate activities, which is construction, development, management, self-managing your own properties, being a broker, being a real estate agent. If you are an active participant, materially participate in those businesses, and you have to own more than 5% of the business, you get to add that time up. If it's more than 750 hours, more than half of that spouse's time. So one spouse qualifies. Then you go to step two. Step two is you materially participate on all of your rental activities. You tend to aggregate them all together, but it could be per property, which mm-hmm. is really bad. There are seven tests for material participation. The easiest one is I do everything myself. The hardest one is 500 hours, mm-hmm. but we're not even worried about that. Rep status is one year at a time. If I qualify for those two things, it's no longer passive loss. It's ordinary non-passive loss and will offset my other income, including my W-2. That's why they're asking. So why do we care? I have passive loss. I don't lose it. No. I carry forward and it gets released and I can write off against all of my income if I do what? Uh, I'm not sure because once you aggregate, that aggregation election stays. Not aggregation. I just, I have passive losses. I never aggregate. Oh, okay. So he has passive losses from rental activities. In order to release that passive loss, how could I do it? Uh, Stop being a rep. Or uh, you're not a rep. You're passive loss. So uh, you might not be following, so I'll answer it. So if I answer for me, I sell it. I dispose of the activity. So if I have passive loss, so I have a rental activity, I don't lose that loss. It carries forward until I have passive income to offset. So let's say this year I have $10,000 of passive loss. Next year, I make $20,000 of passive income. My $10,000 that I didn't get to use carries forward and wipes out $10,000 of that 20. So now I only have 10,000. And this is really important, especially when you're talking total losses exceeding six figures. You don't want to go into that rep status with large passive losses. It's just sitting there. I don't think, like, I always look at these and I see they're trying to reach rep status. Don't try to reach rep status. You either are or you're not. If you meet 750 hours and the IRS determines that you did 750 hours solely to get rep status, 
that's a reason to deny rep status. Do you ever see clients or, or people, individuals that fall in love with properties they own, even though they're losing money hand over fist in them mm-hmm. and won't sell them for that reason? You're only 10 years away from making all that back up. I always say you're 10 years away from usually getting getting out of those those situations. At least I tell myself that because every now and again, I get a crappy property. I'm like, just wait 10 years. It's going to be worth a lot. And then I'll look back and go, hey, I can't remember when I thought about selling this. This is the best thing ever. So um, you don't lose it. That's the whole thing. Yeah. And, and let's say that you are in a syndication. This is where it gets really interesting. A lot of you guys are doing syndications out there. And when they sell, there's capital gain. If you are a passive participant in that syndication, mm-hmm. now hear me clearly. You have passive capital gains that will be offset by your other passive losses. It trips people out because you're always like, you've always been told you can only offset capital gain with capital loss. You can only use capital losses against capital gains. Well, there are passive capital gains. Yep. And if it's passive, you can use passive losses against it. So if you have a bunch of passive losses on your rental activity and you have some, you, you exit a syndication and it gives you a nice two times return or something and you're feeling pretty good. You can offset it with those passive losses. It'll eliminate a bunch of that. And I never hear anybody talking about those passive capital gains. Ever. I say it's 99% of the accounts have no idea. Yeah. But yeah, like Toby says, you got a passive capital gain that not only frees up any losses that probably in that syndication, but it's released when you sell too. But those, that gain gets applied against other passive losses. Yep. So you don't lose your passive losses. You just carry them forward. So I just say, because I know rep status is like this panacea of all that ills us. You know, somebody says, oh, uh, I want to do that. I have 600K of losses. So that 600K of losses, you just keep carrying it forward. Now you have a strong passive income appetite. This is where if somebody comes up and says, so you want to be involved in my business and you know you could be this, that, or the other. And you say like, maybe I want the I want it to kick out a bunch of income because I, I get $600,000 of free income as long as it's passive. So I will not work in your business, but I'll bankroll it. I might help you, but I will not work actively in that business. And, and I and I agree strongly with what they say. I would I would rather not be the rep, the real estate professional, so I can recognize my losses. I would rather make other income yep. to offset my losses. 100%. And sometimes that's the way to look. That's how rich people look. I can tell you because I deal with it all the time. And they're always saying like, hey, this is my scenario. And I have a bunch of carry forward loss or, hey, this year I could, I, I do this. Hey, maybe we should cost seg one of our apartment buildings. Great. And this will offset mm-hmm. if I have a bunch of passive income, I could do that. I could decide to do that after, like we did this recently. Yep. We had a bunch of passive income this year. And you mean, Clint and I are always being knuckleheads. We're like, shoot, what are we going to do this year? All right. These two properties, we just grabbed two of our apartment buildings. We're like, let's cost seg those. Great. There comes the loss. Wipes out all the income. Now we don't have tax on it. Yay. You know what? And I know what you're talking about because I saw the financials on that. And this is a perfect example that what these guys preach is what they're actually doing. As I picked that up and looked at it, it says, oh, look at this loss. They did a cost seg. Yep. It works. We've been doing that for years. Every now and again. Every now and again, we're right. We're broken watches. Right. Twice a day. All right. If you guys like this type of stuff and you want to watch the old Tax Tuesdays, I don't see any on the top videos that are Tax Tuesdays because, again, it's usually a few hundred people come in and watch them after the fact. But if you look at the little thumbnails on that YouTube, you'll see that some say Tax Tuesday in the bottom right corner, the quadrant there. You'll see it say Tax Tuesday. Then you know that it was a Tax Tuesday and it's in this format and you could fast forward. You could say, 
done listening to Toby. I only want to pause it or stop when I see Jeff's lips moving. If you want to just hear Jeff, then you could just fast forward through me or you just do that little 10, whatever it is, the 10 second. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I do that sometimes. Or you put it on time and a half because you say, I'm okay listening to him for a little while, but uh, I do it. Somebody says, looking good, Jeff. Stay strong. I I like hitting the pause button when Toby's going. Yeah. (laughs) Clint used to take those screenshots. (laughs) Look how dumb Toby looks. I mean, like, you don't think you're all over the internet too, my friend? So. And if you guys have never seen my Clint as the uh, Tiger King picture. No. Yes. And it looks just like it. I might, I may have had that one done. We should put the bloopers on sometime. No, we should. <laughs> we should never put bloopers on. Hey, speaking of bloopers, you might see one. Now we have one coming up September 28th. When is that? Is that this weekend? We got one coming up on the 28th. Yes. That's this weekend. And uh, another one coming up on the 7th and then the 12th. So if you want to learn about LLCs, corporations, living trusts, land trusts, how all these things go together, come join us. Yeah, you, you guys talk about so much in this. The asset protection side and how the tax side works with it. If you have never been to one of these, you got to go. Jeff is very kind. Somebody says Thursday. When is it, Patty? Is it Thursday? Yeah. This, this oh, it is Thursday. No, today's Tuesday. Yeah, it's two days. So Thursday. Thursday. All right. Now I get my head straight. Yay. We're doing one on Thursday. Yes. Yes. Sometimes I, I don't know. I just show up when they tell me to go to things. They say, look at that camera and talk and I do it. All right. Questions. If you guys have questions in the meantime, because we do these every two weeks and you say, you know what? I was really thinking about what Jeff said. And I have a question. Send it to tax Tuesday at AndersonAdvisors.com. If you're just asking general tax questions, we do not charge for that, but we also grab your questions and put them into the presentations. Now we get hundreds of them, but we usually grab about 10 to 15 and go over them and use them for Tax Tuesday. The rest of them we try to answer the best we can. If you need specific advice about your situation and you're asking for tax prep or advisory services, we may ask you to become a platinum client, 75 bucks a month, but you could ask all the legal and tax questions you want. Uh, We're going to have some cool stuff that we're launching here in the very near future as well. It's going to give you even more access to our team of uh, attorneys and accountants. But we want to make sure that we are giving you uh, as much helpful information as humanly possible without charging a fee. That is our giving back. And we work really hard to make sure that we are doing our best to give back to people. I remember what it was like when I got started. It cost me 300 bucks to meet with an accountant who made me feel like an idiot. And I still remember those 300 bucks I saved up to meet with this guy. I was like couch diving, looking for anything I could so I could meet with an accountant because Jerry, my mentor said, it's really important you meet with the accountant. And that accountant made me feel like I was about two inches tall. So why do we do this? Because we want to make sure that you never have that experience and that you realize is that taxes aren't something to be feared. It's just one of those skill set areas that's a little bit more kind of funky. You almost have to drink before you read the tax code but you want to make sure that uh, you're looking at it from a, a, a thing of like, hey, there's incentives and there's disincentives. I just want to know what they are. Mm-hmm. And the tax code is this huge behemoth. There's lots of complexity, but it is your decision. You get to choose what you do with that complexity. A lot of people choose to use it to their advantage. Those are the ones that tend to be very successful. So we're just trying to make it accessible to you. And if nothing else, hey, you'll learn a little bit of something and maybe have a little bit of fun. Anything else? Nothing else for me. Good luck, guys. We uh, They answered 314 questions today, uh, plus all the questions that we did in chat. And uh, guys, 
go out and do a bunch of good stuff. Have some fun and don't be afraid of your taxes. Have some fun and hope you, you guys have a lot of success. We will see you back here in two weeks and uh, it'll be fun. See you guys in two weeks. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Show notes for links to everything mentioned in this episode can be found on our website at andersonadvisors.com slash podcast. Be sure you subscribe to our podcast. And if you are already a subscriber, please provide us a review of what you thought of this episode. 